I've done like this is absolute gold. No one's talking like this on any podcast. Hello and welcome back to the New Nomos podcast. This episode is with a man named Lukman Mula. He reached out to me and initially was suggesting that I interview one of his friends on a certain subject. So I said to him, let's have a conversation over the phone. And within 15 minutes of talking to him over the phone, I knew that it was Lukman that I wanted to interview and not necessarily his friend. And oh my goodness, what a conversation. The raw recording was well over three hours. So I've cut it down to two hours and a bit. And it really is absolutely amazing. I mean, even trying to find a title for the episode was really difficult because we talked about so many different things over the course of the conversation. But what it reveals is the vastness of Lukman's being. And the one thing that I really took away from this conversation is Lukman's immense authenticity. I think that is something that is the core theme of this conversation and it's, and it really moved me. And beyond that, what he does on a day-to-day, what he does professionally is just so inspiring. And so I really hope you enjoy this conversation and you take benefit from it. Now, I know it's a long episode, and if you feel you don't have the time to listen to the whole thing, then please skip to the last 15 minutes, because it's in the last 15 minutes that it all comes together, and it's just amazing. So, without further ado, I present to you Season 2, Episode 3, I Will Be Heard, Mass Addiction, Pain, and the Truth. Right now, I wouldn't consider myself an anarchist anymore, but I was deep into the, the anarchist thinkers as well. I, I read uh, Bakunin, Kropotkin, uh, Erich Mühsam. He's a famous German anarchist, uh, and they have lots of wisdom. But you know what really resonated with me was always this critique of, of power. You know, in German, we have uh, Herrschaft und Macht. And uh, Herrschaft is something more than power. It's, I don't think there's a good English translation, but Herrschaft is like the, the the kings, you know, like maybe like Firaun, you know, maybe maybe Firaun is a good uh, example of 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 Herrschaft. And uh, you know, like when I was a teenager, I I, I had this um, this connection to the the Christian tradition, and there you have uh, Jesus, Salam, who who fights against Roman Empire. Mm. This is like wow. <laughs> this yeah. is like okay, you go into struggle and you go against the struggle against basically the the emperor of the world, you know, because the Roman Empire he was just like the one at at that at his time, you know, and yeah, it was very very impressive. And uh, I know I had one. Uh, one friend of mine, he was he was like our yeah anarchist leader, and I know this is a contradiction. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, he was very into theory, and he was very um, he was very into Marxist theory as well, and 
we read together like uh, Das Kapital from Marx and if you really understand it, it's just like, oh wow, this is like how capitalism works and, uh, and this is a whole science that's really, uh, and through him I, I understood like the, the, the basic Marxist assumptions and the consequences that you that you have to critique um, uh, as a Herrschaftskritique, like uh, critique the the power and uh, oppression, basically. Uh, and you you have all these uh, at a at a personal level as well. It's not only uh, like the big system and capitalism, and uh, we have this in in day-to-day uh, -day, um, relationships as well and we have to be aware of this that we don't like um, abuse our power and that we have to uh, communicate in a non-violent way and a non-powerful way and when we were way ahead of our times because this was like maybe 10 years before you had this in the in the mainstream discourse like at least here in the here in Germany, uh, many years later, there's some of these insights that we had a um, long time ago just uh, gets into the public sphere. And uh, yeah, you say, you talk somehow like about nonviolent communication and, and I just like, I'm laughing because oh, this is was what we did like uh, 15 years ago, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so <laughs> um, yeah, we had a strong theoretical foundation as well. and. There are just so many uh, interesting stories with all these um, labor movements and uh, the organizing of the of the workers because uh, we have a strong tradition uh, here of, of of workers movement. We have a local history, you know. They 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 got together in workers clubs and and they 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 build um, facilities for their kids where they can go in the in the holidays where they can go into the forest. It's called Waldheim. Waldheim. And it was Waldheim, yeah. Yeah, Waldganga. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was just like for the, for the working class kids that they get into nature uh, yeah. during holidays, that they're not in the polluted cities all the, all the, all the time, but they get into the forest. Uh, they, they learn songs there, they, they, they cook together. They, they they do sports together. There are many uh, sport clubs like uh, football clubs that they have this working class background. It was really interesting to discover all this uh, history. You know, we we read about the Spanish Civil War, uh, Hemingway and uh, Ernst Thälmann and all these heroes that went to to fight uh, against fascism, and we had our own. Uh, own fights because uh, they were always like the right wing in Germany. They were very, very active all the time. And it was just like a, a fight against them on, on street level. You know, it was just like, okay, if we don't want uh, that they uh, take power, we have to fight against them because there was a very strong uh, racist violence in the 90s. And there were many um, like... Uh, terrorist attacks against against uh, foreigners. For example, um, in Solingen in uh, 1993, there was this attack and there were, it, uh, they, they um, 
through Molotov cocktails to a house where Turkish people live. And there were like uh, three girls who, who died there, like small girls and, and her mom. And I think five people died there. And this was so big shock for for all the the immigrant communities because uh, this was like these uh, deeds i mean this is just like real real crime and real terror and what what is so um moving for me is like um, the the mother of this family and she's very famous in germany she died uh, one or two years ago uh, rahima ola she's called mevlu de Genç, and uh, she you know like classic turkish woman with her classic upbringing and this is what really moves uh, moves me and many other people because the day after she she lost like her her grandchildren her daughter to this crime she called not for revenge but that the people come together again and for forgiveness and this is something that that's really uh, moved many hearts because uh, it's so easy to to call for revenge about uh, after such an act of of hatred and destruction where you kill children not to react with with hate and and even more violence and this is what what really uh, inspired us very 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 much you know well it's something that i posted yesterday actually and it was that all men today are pacifists and we're bred to be pacifists is we believe that war is bad and this is a bad thing and we must all be peaceful and nice and it's just not true and what happens then is that because man is not aspiring to glory and military glory and well well let me take a step back is that because the the aspiration of man has been shifted away from the noble warrior which was always the case if you look at all of the the great myths and the great stories of antiquity there's always like the, the hero is this great warrior who's fearless and goes out and you know kills the dragon or faces all the obstacles in order to surpass everything and he's like the ultimate hero nowadays all the heroes that we're shown are millionaires and billionaires and your big businessmen and those that have made a success of themselves using the that definition of success with money right and so now to be successful means that you outwardly have money and inwardly are sexually satisfied so those those two kind of points right now if you take if you take it back to what i was saying that all men today are are pacifists and we're bred to be pacifists is because our aggression the natural aggression of man is not being expressed fighting against other men physically then what happens is that 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 aggression is not repressed it's been anesthetized it's like we're like man is in a kind of forced sleep state and what happens then is because that aggression has to come out it's not expressed outside in the world it's expressed inside the family and so what happens is the the man fights against the wife and he kills the children so it's like the fight is with the wife and the murder is of the children now if we go back to what 
you were kind of uh, right at the beginning you're explaining the story of your father now your father is the son of somebody that lived through the second world war which was not war in the sense that i'm talking about or that the, you know this thing of man fighting man and noble war this was war that was fought purely for financial gain mm. right and when you take the second world war you can't just take the second world war because the second world war was a product of the first world war so you've got to take from 1914 yes, all the way through to 1945 it's like one big 30 year massacre and that was all to shift away from the rule of monarchy and shift it to yeah. financial democracy or democracy mm. as a front for financial hegemony so mm. what the people experienced through the second world war whether they were fighting on the battlefield or whether they were just living in europe and had to deal with the ramifications of this horrendous 30 year war they were all broken psychologically but now if you've grown up seeing what they call war as the second world war as war then that's going to create something in your psyche where you're going to reject war but then by rejecting war and saying war is bad and peace is good which is fine but it's it's naive then what happens at the end of it is that you repress the natural aggression of man and we all taught we all taught at school to be nice and no this that and the other blah 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 but it's it's just it's not in tune with the nature of man as man because man has to release his aggression it's natural mm. it's human it's animal well it's the animalness of the human and now you can talk all stoic and and how oh no you need to control your thought pattern and this that and the other yeah that's great but the reality of it is that and i mean you will know this and we're going to get onto that when it comes to things like addiction you can force yourself to stop doing something and you can be harsh but if it's not dealt with at the root cause then 3 months later you have a relapse or 6 months or 2 years so there's all these different elements you know and i think it's is one of the the curses of our time is this this kind of the pacification of man and that's why you know like this other stories you were telling me about you know these wild things you were doing and like whether it was in stuttgart or traveling to france or or even the other people that had traveled to stuttgart to live in the trees and one of these things it's like that's real action and that's exciting yeah. and it's interesting and that gives you a story not only does it give you a story to tell but what did i mean you experienced like wild things and not only was it fun and dangerous but you also got that like massive adrenaline rush right and there was a grouping of people that did it together now that's yeah. that's not pacifist and now when you take it back to the likes of um Ernst Jünger in the second world war and you know Danunzio and these like the Italians post first world war they saw the lie of this great big war they saw that they weren't fighting for what they were told they were fighting for i mean in the uk mm. they were fighting for king and country 
But they can't say they're fighting for king and country in the Second World War, really, because the king had already lost whatever little power he had left. And by the end of the Second mm. World War, it's like, what? You know, it's like, mm, no. And the Prussians, the Prussians lost the Kaiser, you know, in the shortest amount of time. And what you see is the, the Austro-Hungarian um, Empire is completely done with. You see this when you look at the historical context, it's like there's a massive shift of power away from what was the power nexus to a new power nexus, which was this kind of this, mm -hmm. this capitalist hegemony, banking hegemony led by American banks. But I mean, those banks are European banks. And yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, you can say the rest is history, but it leads us to where we are now which is yeah. a time where like everybody is broken on top of just being broken anyway in this financial system that has completely collapsed. You know, then we had this thing called lockdown, which was a complete madness where I don't think there's ever been anything like that ever in human history where everyone was just shut in their house and everyone was just like, okay, cool, I'm going to stay in my house like across the world it's is madness i mean i didn't there was a loophole in south africa where you could get like a kind of if you had a company that was selling pharmaceuticals and related stuff you could get a piece of paper so i just pretended that the one company that i had was selling pharmaceuticals well we did we were actually selling sanitizer but anyway <laughs> and uh i just got like the get out of jail free card day one of lockdown i was like racing on the highway having a great old time before we continue on this podcast, I want to introduce you to Harmonize, my 21-day classical music challenge. I just want to tell you how much I really loved your 21-day classical music challenge. When I got the email about it, I was very excited. But once I heard it, I was really impressed with your curation of the music because for those of you that haven't done the challenge, when you start the challenge, the, the pieces are short. And then each time, the music gets a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And what I realized was through the course of these pieces, you weren't just connecting me to the music, you were connecting me and extending my presence. And that's priceless. And that is such a beautiful thing. I encourage everybody to do it as soon as they can, especially if you don't listen to classical music, because if you don't, then it's time to start working on new ways to find peace. So I thank you. Click the link below to find out more. What's really uh, important in all these uh, discussions, and this is why I'm really very, very um, thankful and, and humbled, and I am, and I am able to to learn from from you that much, uh, is that you really beautifully um, combine the, the the historical context and the historical events uh, with the individual level and your own responsibility, and this is something that I wanted to to remark that uh, really. Uh, thankful for your, for your podcast as well because there's so much I have learned uh, from this as well and uh, especially about um, being a man and manhood um, because you're absolutely right if we look at history and we understand what has happened and for example what when we go back to the first world war and uh, the the collapse of the of the monarchies uh, what really impacted me uh, on 
on very deep level was this a story from your podcast about the about Sultan Abdul Hamid mm. and um, how he uh, came to to exile actually and yeah that this was because of the of the Zionist bankers uh, that he refused to to give them Palestine 100% and that this was his his death sentence he refused to sell them the land of Palestine because he said it's not my land to sell yes and uh, this is something i this was like for me because um, i have many contacts with uh, the different uh, turkish people over the years and i always had this impression that there's a lot of anti-Semitism, you know, uh, a lot of uh, just like these uh, anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theories, uh, because I, I don't want to open this uh, subject now uh, to make it short. Um, this really uh, had a shift on my view of many things that are happening now, especially the events that are taking place in the Holy Land and uh, all this carnage and suffering that uh, that that uh, happens there and so this is really like very important to have these uh, historical facts and this knowledge about historical uh, things that happen to to uh, be able to to relate to uh, events that are taking place today this was like what i wanted to to remark. I'm going to just continue on what you've said and go a little bit further and say that, you know, you've brought up the topic of Sultan Abdul Hamid II, Rahimahullah. And we have to understand as Muslims in this time that we're living in, that the whole situation that's happening in Palestine and the horrendous oppression and the horrendous slaughter and killing and concentration-like situation of Palestine is the fault of the Muslim Ummah. It's not the fault of the president of Turkey who's not doing enough. It's not the fault of the uh, Sheikh of the United Arab Emirates who's not doing enough. It's not the fault of the president of Egypt who's not doing enough. It is the fault of the Muslim Ummah. And why do I say that? I say that because what did the Muslim Ummah lose with the deposition of Sultan Abdul Hamid II? They lost a caliph, they lost a political leader, a man that was responsible for every single Muslim in the world, where the political outward rule and governorship of the Muslims went back to him. And that has been the issue with the Muslims, since his deposition in 1909, I can't remember the exact date, but since those early 1900s, when he was deposed, the Muslims have been without a caliph, the Muslims have been without a political leader. And that is the issue that the Muslims find ourselves in today. Because you can say, oh, these Muslim leaders aren't doing enough, but those Muslim leaders are not responsible for Islam. Those Muslim leaders, who are leaders that are Muslim, President Erdogan is not responsible for the Muslims. President, President Erdogan is responsible for the state of Turkey and the Turkish people. He can't do something that's going to cause major repercussions 
from the rest of the world because it's going to affect the Turkish economy and he has enough on his plate that he's dealing with trying to institute the the great work that he's doing in Turkey in order like for him to make a strong and when I say strong I mean I, I, I rather for him to make an outward physical military uh, military attack is absolutely stupid you know it it's it is if you look at it from a military military strategy perspective or from a political or from a diplomatic perspective it would be a stupid move given his current situation right now if you take that same thing and you ex and you transpose it onto the united arab emirates or egypt or 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 or, or you know it these men in positions of authority their jobs and it is a job being a president is a job their job is to look after their country and the, i mean if you want to go deeper then their job is to maintain the economic state of the country which means to maintain the fiat currency and national debt which comes part and parcel with a nation state in this time that we live in and you know the deeper you go down the rabbit hole the more you realize that these men and women who are right at the top of the so-called pyramid of power are actually handcuffed and there's very little that they can do which means the onus is set back onto the muslims as a body of people that are disconnected leaderless chasing after their own individual money you can't make blanket statements you can't say the muslims are this and the muslims are that but you can look at common themes in a cultural environment and whether you want to look at it the muslim community in cape town where i am or the muslim community in johannesburg or the muslim community in stuttgart or the muslim community in berlin or london or wherever they are you know what's happened today is that everyone's just chasing after their money and if you're going to spend your life chasing after money and your own individual needs that is singular that's not social that's that's a personal thing sorry i'm just going on a rampage yeah yeah this is why i interrupt now <laughs> <laughs> um and this is like the central theme that you have to uh, acknowledge all these uh, centuries of the of the modernist monocultural project that has happened uh, since the european enlightenment project mm, you know yeah. and all this um uh, massive uh, collective trauma that uh, it has imposed on on the amma umma so that uh, as you said before totally correct um we have this uh, collective anesthesia and like uh, a collective uh, state of being asleep and running after money and this is something i learned from uh, from my teachers the shuyu you know and they alhamdulillah i'm blessed with um, with uh, great uh, teachers that one here sheikh burhanuddin he explained it like your your uh, the solar system and uh, in the middle of the solar system is the sun you are the planets like planet earth and you re revolve around the sun and now you have to ask yourself okay what is your sun you know what is your light in your life and he said 
the diet of uh, most of the people is money. Yes. And everything revolves around this. And this is your sun, and this is your source of energy, your source of wealth, your source of income. And if it's not money, then maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your relationship, your love, and everything revolves around this. Or maybe it's something else, whatever. Many things can be your son, your son. And the only way, the only way is if in the middle, if your son is Huck, you know, and Huck, it means the truth. This has to be the thing that you revolve around and that you're longing for and your source of light, your source of love, your source of income, and where you put trust, you know, the tobacco mm. on it, and that you long for, because this is the real longing that we have in our hearts, and this is uh, very beautiful expressed, for example, by, by Maulana Jaladin Rumi in his, uh, in his song about the, the reed. You know, the reed that is cut off from the reed bed and it longs to return to its source and it's cut off from its roots. And this is our situation. We are cut off from our roots and especially in Germany because we are not allowed to connect ourselves with our roots. And this is what, like in these last couple of days, I was reflecting a lot about this invitation to to your podcast because this is a really a big thing for me this is an honor for me to be in this uh, in this uh, circle of of uh, knowledgeable uh, people that that you hosted alhamdulillah and uh, for me it was something like very symbolic behind you know you're like a muslim guy from uk that lives in south africa and you reconnect me through your podcast through your work with my own cultural heritage like Wagner, you know, or Goethe, or uh, all these, these, you know, these saints, these holy people from my own tribe. Mm. Uh, and this is really something, you know, the the one sheikh, he's from, he's from my tribe as well, and he te he taught me this. This is so powerful, I think, because. Uh, when you have all these this racist discourses, you know, like the anti-Muslim sentiments from the German right, they say, like, for me, I'm like a traitor to to the German people because I I left my my heritage, I embraced Islam, and now I'm like a foreigner, you know? They are traitors to their heritage because they haven't read Goethe. And they don't know about his life. Because if they had have known about his life, and they know what he was calling to, and they know what he was saying, if they look at the works and life of Rilke, and they go into Schiller, and they go into Wagner, they will see that they have betrayed who they are. Because the German identity... I mean, okay, if we just take rich... If we just take Wagner and his ring cycle, I mean, that is... Richard Wagner. Richard, that is... Richard, we make German, German lessons now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. You see, Wagner in his time goes back to the origin 
the origin the origin stories of the germanic people to find the myth that he uses to paint the picture that he does through the opera so i mean you're talking about wotan brunhilde siegfried you know these are all ancient characters from the ancient mythology of the nordic germanic people that is the most ancient ancientness of the nordic germanic people that the people that are the original tribe of that area going back hundreds if not thousands of years i mean okay if we take goethe now and you look at his life and what i discuss in that podcast and you look at his work and through the immense immense study that he did in his lifetime because he was more than just a writer or a playwright he was a scientist he was you know studying everything the colors and this and that you know he did so much in his lifetime and with all of that knowledge you know what was the last thing that really uh inspired him was the shahada ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadar rasulullah and he and, the only thing was that he wasn't taught anything more than that so he didn't know how to do the prayer but he believed ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadar rasulullah and if you look at faust and you go right into the very end of it in the second part you'll see that it's the angels coming to take him so even though he's done all of these horrendous horrible things what happens right at the end and that is goethe hiding in metaphor and hiding in imagery in his greatest piece of Uh, of 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 prose where he ended up and so for any german person to tell you that you've betrayed the germanic inheritance they, i mean what people don't understand is that islam is a filter for culture it's the filter it's not a culture itself yes. so you can be completely yes. german and be muslim as if you go to japan or if you go to china and you look at yes. the the chinese mosques they're built in the style of chinese architecture it is a mosque exactly. a mosque doesn't yeah. need to look like a certain thing and a muslim should dress with mm. humility and dress you know covering you know the shameful the aura you know the 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 area that needs to be covered but that can be in a suit and tie or it can be in a jilaba or it can be in a dishtasha or it can be in a in a, a mongolian dress or chinese dress or african you know that's not relevant how you present yourself to mm. the world is not what's in your heart and that's i think again every people taking things on face value islam is a filter for culture it always has been and it always will be and anything that is contrary to that is not in tune with what is not in tune with the truth of islam yeah but the thing is um let's take uh, we have like in germany we have this post war uh, the, the the common term is like this cancel culture you know uh where let's take wagner for example because wagner he's not acceptable for the liberal public he's not acceptable but why you know, because what's their argument uh the argument is the uh, you know uh, the favorite musician of hitler was wagner and he 
he uh, used the the Bayreuther Festspiele, you know, his uh, his uh, opera house that Wagner built and yes. founded, and uh, every year, yes, they they, they make uh, the uh, the the parts of of his work they demonstrate there, and the Nazis they they used it as a propaganda platform, yes. you know, and this is like the logic. Okay, if he's a favorite musician of Hitler. And he talks about all these ancient German myths and mystical figures. Then he has to be bad. And then uh, we can't connect with him in any way. And Stringer, it's the same, you know? It's like there's a, this taboo. This is this cultural taboo uh, to, to connect with these figures of our history because of the fascist area, you know? And... This is something that is the worst argument I have ever heard. That is absolutely ridiculous. That has no grounding. <laughs> it's not at my all. argument. <laughs> I know, but it's like, okay, well, what was Hitler's favorite wine? Whatever Hitler's favorite wine he is. He didn't drink alcohol. Okay, well, what? He was, didn't drink alcohol. <laughs> did he not? No, no, he didn't drink alcohol. Okay, well, then what was his favorite food? He's famous for that. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, well, what was... Uh, he was veg vegetarian. He was vegetarian. Right, so you can't eat vegetables. <laughs> you cannot... If you're German, you cannot eat vegetables because vegetables were Hitler's right. favorite. And, you know, even if you cook the vegetables really well and you use a Michelin star chef to cook you the most amazing vegetable plate, you cannot eat it because... Hitler ate vegetables, and so did the Nazis. Ah, uh, yeah, but brother, you have to go like this is this is something that that happens in uh, it's something about a collective trauma reaction. You know, this is uh, this got something to do with the unconscious. You know, with you you are afraid to to face this shadow side of your collective identity. You know, this is uh, something that we had before about events that are not uh, integrated, that are not. Um, that are not digested, you know, that you haven't come to terms with, but you just shoved it away and made a taboo out of it, you know. Let's go into the actual intricacies of Wagner and Hitler. Well, let's not even say that. Let's say the intricacies of Wagner and the Nazi regime. Why did the Nazis use Richard Wagner's work, in particular the Ring Cycle, to what, what was their intention behind raising it up i can guess i have no actual knowledge about this i can make a guess now um can i tell you it was about creating a german identity connecting the germanic peoples back to their origins it's about mm. them knowing who they are where they come from and their own value as humans and, and a collective a collective belonging to a, an ancient and noble past. That's why he did it. That's part of the whole national socialist agenda. That's why he used mm. Wagner. Okay, he did horrible things. And like there was, you know, I mean, let's not get started on the concentration camps and let's not get started on the other stuff and the, the war and whatever, right? But... You can't just blanket it all under the same thing because what Hitler was doing was creating a national identity and something and, and affirming the Germanic people and where they come from and, and why they are special for themselves. 
It, they weren't using some text from America or, or, you know, some English guy's music. No, it was, it was part of the German inheritance. It was a German voice, a German artist, a German giant who had gone back to the greatest of Germanicness to pull out this myth and on top of that create this magnificent music. It is absolutely pure genius. And you can't deny pure genius whether a dictator or an evil man likes or can respect a genius. That doesn't make that genius worthless and the thing is if you listen if you can put the time in to go through the ring cycle all 16 hours of opera opera drama it will change you it will change you whether you're germanic or not whether you understand the german that they're singing or not just the <clears throat> the music will do something to you can I tell you something um, what's very special in, in Germany? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, uh, and I think from these people you can learn a lot about uh, all the topics that we're speaking about. Because uh, in the German uh, left uh, leftist politics sphere, um, there is one uh, split group and it's called the Anti-Deutsche. Uh, it's like the Anti-Germans. And uh, the anti-Deutsche, and they um, developed in the 1990s, and it was a split with the traditional uh, German left that was like uh, they said they were like anti-imperialists, you know, like pro-Palestine, uh, pro the the national liberation movements in uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, South South America, and so on, and. Uh, and the anti-Germans, they, they came and said, no, we split uh, from you because we have a, a critique of society where we see like this, this capitalist society is based on anti-Semitic um, like, structure because you have this critique of capitalism where the, where the Jews are the root of all the evil, you know, the Jewish banker that uh, conspires in the background and uh, pulls his strings. And uh, this is like um, the critique of capitalism that also the Nazis used, you know, because it was not a real critique, but a critique that reinforced this anti-Semitic um, ideas, ideas on, and ideologies. And this is why we have to distance ourselves and um, they they are like in an ideological loop. And the result of this ideological loop is that you have, um, for example, for many years, you, uh, you have in February in, in Dresden, you have these demonstrations because in Dresden, it was, uh, it was really um, burned uh, in the Second World War. There were like these aerial bombardments. It was horrible. So... In the 1990s, the Nazis came on the on the day that this happened. It was 11th of February, I think, and they made a demonstration like against the like to to remember the the victims of the the bombardment of Dresden. And then there was, of course, the the um, protest against the the Nazi meeting. And uh, there, 
you had this really uh, this situation that the anti-Deutsche they started waving like flags of the state of Israel, and this logic is you know like the state of Israel is like the the ball uh, ballwerk what's it called like the wall in the world against this anti-Semitism. It's the only place for Jewish people where they can really be safe, and uh, this is why the you know, all nation states are bad except for the state of Israel, you know, because this is the only uh, structure that provides real safety for the Jewish people. So they, they basically took the, the Zionist narrative and transferred it into, into this uh, radical left uh, ideology where they had slogans like um, Bomber Harris do it again. You know, and Bomber Harris was uh, this famous... Uh, a Royal Air Force pilot yeah. who was famous for his uh, bombardments. And they chanted like Bomber Harris do it again in Dresden uh, on the, on the um, Remembrance Day of the, of the victims of, of, the, of the area bombardment. Uh, another slogan was, um, you have to wipe Germany from the map. France must reach to Poland, you know. It's a bit like uh, from the river to the sea, you know. <laughs> uh, you, you just have to extinguish everything that is German because this is like the root of all evil. And these these guys, they are all like uh, they all come from German middle class backgrounds. You but know? what have- does that do if if you cut off from everything that was before? You're cutting off. Everything that has created you, everything that has brought you into existence, which is so arrogant. It's so arrogant. It's saying we know better right now today than all of our ancestors, everybody that came before us. And it's absolute rubbish. And as Muslims, we know that the greatest society, the greatest grouping of people that ever lived is in the past. The Prophet ﷺ was the final prophet. There will no, there will not be another prophet until the end of time, right? Mm. And the best of people was his community, and the people that were around him, the Sahaba. And we know from what we've been taught, you can follow any one of the Sahaba, like stars in the night sky. So they were all of the rank mm. ranks of perfect. I mean, we know they were human, and I don't want to, you know, say things that are not true. But as Muslims, we know that that was the best man that ever lived, and it was the best community of people, and it's in the past. Mm. So we know that however great we can be, and whatever good we can do, and there's been great Muslim empires that have risen and fallen and flourished and created beautiful buildings, etc., etc., whether you want to talk about the Mughal Empire in the subcontinent, or the Ottoman Empire, or the great um, empires that ruled over North Africa in the Middle East, etc., etc. Spain is an example. However great they were, they were still not as great as the as the what the Prophet ﷺ created in Medina, and we know that, and we accept that, and we're and we're like, okay, fine. But that gives us humility in the fact that we know that the best blueprint for life and society happened one thousand four hundred years ago. So go back to that. What did they do? How mm. did they do it? 
That's what we need to replicate. Mm -hmm. And it's not a state model. The Prophet ﷺ did not create an Islamic state. It wasn't a nation state. It was an organic way of living life. And that's what Islam is. As soon as you start putting, uh, forcing it into a, a, a kind of state banking capitalist mentality, it doesn't work. Well, it, it's, you're, well, it's not that it doesn't work. It's, it's not allowed to flourish in its entirety. When you have pure Islam, mm. what happens next in the shortest amount of time? You have the most beautiful buildings. You have the most beautiful art. You have the most beautiful gardens. You have the most beautiful food. You have the most beautiful people, the most beautiful society. That's what Islam creates. Okay, now we're getting distracted, but yeah. the, it's a natural organic thing. Now, we know that that was the best thing and it was back then. So for anybody to say today that what they have is better than what came before is arrogant, extremely arrogant. It's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, but this is, this is exactly the, the modernist ideology, you know, this, 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 the, the, you have this, this uh, Marxist view of history and uh, Marx, he took <laughs> a lot from Hegel, you know, Hegel and his uh, Geschichtsphilosophie, his, his philosophy of history, and it's built on the on the dialectic. You know, if you take uh, Hegel's dialectic, it's always these antagonisms, and it's always. And Marx, he said, like, okay, we have the uh, patricians and the plebeians, and then we have uh, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat in the in the uh, industrialized society. And it's always this antagonism, but every step of history is a development. You know, every step is a step further out and progress. And this is this ideology of progress that we are always one step ahead of the time. We're always a bit more developed. And the end, we have this utopia. We have the socialism, the communist utopia where everyone is equal. Uh, so uh, it's just like this um, materialistic religion and it's this materialistic messianic promise that you just need the revolution and the revolution and the revolution and the revolution to get uh, the salvation in the end and the real ideology marxist the real ones there are not many left but the real ones they say this will happen and it's sure it's a fact you know it's like this dogma uh, mm. i know this will happen It's like a, it's like a, a promise from God, but there is no God. And this is, <laughs> you know, I, I had contact with some Iranian communists, and they're really old school. <laughs> the Iranian <laughs> communists—they're they're like uh, the orthodox Marxists that you don't have, you don't have many left here in Europe. But they're still like uh, with not with the Bida, but with the uh, original Marxism. And they uh, they said to me. <laughs> The, the communism, it will come, no matter what, regardless. It was like really a tobacco. They really trusted it. They, they had the firm, firm uh, belief. And uh, this was something like Erich Fromm. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a philosopher. He was uh, associated with the Frankfurt School, with Adorno and, and uh, Walter Benjamin and so on. He wrote that book on love, right? The ways, the art of loving or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and he wrote uh, "Haben und Sein" um, to to have or to be uh, as well. 
Uh, und in, in Haben und Sein, uh, he, he writes about uh, how the, the ideologies, uh, like the big ideologies of the 20th century, how they replaced the religion, how they uh, put it into secular terms, like and secularized the religion. And he talked about the, the impacts of this. Yeah, this is, this is very uh, fascinating because this is like the core in, in this work from uh, Erich Fromm. It's about the core issue, the, the decision between, uh, okay, uh, haben, to have something, or sein, to be something. And what we learn in our culture is that it's about to have something, that you have whatever, and it's not the way that the thing that you should strive for, but you should strive for to be something. That's your state. Mm. Goethe was at a period of his life searching for the Urplant. Yeah. Which was the origin of everything. Urplant, yeah. Now, when I did an episode, I don't know if you've listened to it, but a friend of mine who uh, is a historian and has studied the Zulu people, he is Zulu himself. Yeah. And he said that the original plant, what well, they, in their story, in their origin story, the ancient story of the Zulu people, is they all come from the reeds, right? Yeah, subhanAllah. I, I heard it. And the, the Ur plant there was a kind of connection with the reed. Mm. And then when you go to the beginning of Rumi's Mathnavi, it's that yes. story that you just mentioned with the reed. Oh, and yes. somehow there's a, there's a like these kind of connecting oh, no. things. And I'm like, whether it is or isn't is irrelevant, but there's a, there are these kind of ancient threads that mm. are leading to, you know, and I'm just, you know, going along asking questions and having these amazing, wonderful conversations with these different people. And it's like, boom, Goethe, boom, Zulu, boom, Rumi. Mm. And it's like, wow, it all goes back to a reed in a reed bed. Okay. Yeah. And that's tapping into something ancient and ancient knowledges. And we don't know. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say here, we all come from reeds. It was like just this kind of thread that was coming to me that was interesting coming back to that question that i asked you before what is it that you do professionally on a on a day-to-day -day? yes yes exactly so um i work uh, for the city council in, in Winnenden, and it's a small town uh, close to stuttgart and uh, i i work with a approach uh, it's a social work uh, like youth work uh, and it's uh, an approach, uh, and it's called mobile youth work, mobile Jugendarbeit in German. And uh, this approach was developed in the 1960s uh, in, in Stuttgart. And uh, the the founder he he came Walter Specht. He's a he's a great man as well. Uh, he came from the from the Pathfinder, uh, the Pathfinder. Uh, what's it called in English? Um, um, the scouts, the scouts, scouts. Yeah, scouts was and invented scouts by movement. one of the English generals that fought in the colonial conquest or the colonial battles of South Africa, called Baden Powell. He was the founder of the scouts. Okay. So there's a road here in Cape Town called Baden Powell Drive. So he founded it here. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So. 
yeah, random piece of knowledge, but he was he was one of the the British Imperial generals. Mm, okay. <laughs> Did some nasty things, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he founded the scouts, so hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he was really into the scout movement, and um, in the in the sixties, you know, uh, this was like. Uh, uh after after the war uh, like the the whole cities were destroyed and uh in uh in the europe they they built this bolus you know the the modern uh, areas you know where they have like functional housing and most of the time you don't have like this infrastructure or you don't have this society that is grown but it's just like okay you build a new uh quartier you know, uh, somewhere in the field, and then that's it. You just, okay, that all the workers can live there with their families. That was like theory, but in practice, uh, you, you notice then you have uh, these youth groups, you know, and they hang around and they do like crime, they do drugs, they, they have violent incidents, they make trouble, basically. And we had this in Germany, but different, like in France, it's very big. But in in Stuttgart in the 60s it was uh, this very strong and um, these these troubles in these um, in these satellite quartier you know uh, in these satellite areas and social worker uh, Walter Specht he uh, he was uh, in in the United States and in Chicago and there he like before for his studies and uh, there he. He met the street workers there, and he he learned about this approach, uh, how to deal uh, with uh, with gangs and with youth violence through this outreach uh, social work, and to just um, don't have your office where you're waiting that somebody uh, appears, but you go out in the street and you are proactive and you talk to the young people. Uh, and you invite them into your place and so he connected uh, he was with the church and the church they they gave him place to meet uh, for for the youth and then he made youth clubs you know like okay hey guys you're hanging around here come inside it's warm it's cozy we got something to eat you can drink here uh, we can hang around together and do some leisure things you know like nice things that you don't have to hang outside and do all this hustling all the time and, and so on and so forth. So this is how this uh, approach developed um, in the in the sixties and it spread like through Western Germany and after the reunification it spread into Eastern Germany as well. And in Eastern Germany it was uh, it was interesting because um, after the then there, after the reunification, there were lots of uh, right-wing youth, and uh, the like. As I said before, like the the racist pogroms and so on there, and of course uh, the youth they they met at the at the spaces that the social workers they they opened for them and they organized themselves there. So this is like <laughs> one thing that's not really uh, worked on is uh, how this approach. Uh, led to uh, the development of like right-wing terror cells like the NSU, you know, like the National Socialist Underground. 
the the famous uh, right wing terror cell that its origins were in Vienna, in Eastern Germany, and exactly these kind of youth clubs that some social workers opened. So this is just like a, a random knowledge. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, actually, like our our theoretical approach is that we have um, four pillars. It's not five pillars like in Islam, but four pillars. And the first pillar is uh, street work, that you do this outreach work. And for us, like you, you go by foot or we have a, a bus, like VW bus, and we stand at the train station once a week and we got some tea and we got some uh, seat uh, where you can sit around and we get to know people and we're there the, the whole evening. It's like tonight, tonight is Tuesday evening, we're at the Bahnhof at the train station and hang around there all, all evening. So this is street work. Then um, you get to know some people there. You get to know like groups of friends, like a clicker. Uh, and then you you invite them. You can do like funny stuff. You know, we, we go together to Europa Park. It's a leisure park, a big one, or like where they can drive roller coaster or we do, you can play a soccer with us, football, or or um, like some music. You know, we had the music project, or we cook together. Just like we do, like group activities together. And then um, you have this. Uh, it's called Einzelfallhilfe, and it's just like this this uh, social work uh, single support where you work on all the issues that, that they, they bring with you. And usually it's something like um, issues about uh, that I'm homelessness, that I don't have a place to stay, or I sleep on the couch of my friend, or it's something about uh, um, drug addiction, uh, mental health, I got a psychiatric uh, uh, illness, like schizophrenia or something like this, or um paranoid or it's about violence you know i have a police case and i have to go to jail you, you support them you you give them lawyers uh, you you accompany them to the court uh, when they're in jail you you visit them in jail and you support them or you have uh, to deal with with uh, authorities you know like bureaucratic uh, stuff I mean, Germany is very bureaucratic. We have lots of bureaucracy that they have to manage with the with the health insurance or with a job center. It's the 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 agency for the people who don't have work. You know, you get money from them, like uh, social social institutions. Yeah. So, or you have struggles with your family or with your workplace or whatever. You know, everything everything is possible. This is uh, the other part. And then uh, the fourth pillar is, uh, it's called Gemeinwesenarbeit, and it's about um, like community work, that you work to improve the situation on a structural level, on a local level for these young people that are marginalized, that are disenfranchised from society. And the goal is to, to integrate uh, them. And the thing is, uh, what's really interesting is that we have, uh, like, for a couple of years, uh, we have this uh, 
these gangs, we have violent incidents and they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty bad. I mean, it, of course it's, it's hard to compare, but for us it's bad, you know, they, like they have knives and they um, stab each other or um, some are with, uh, they shoot or like the incident last year was big in media. Someone threw a hand grenade on a, on a um, graveyard, you know, uh, there was a, they were, they were burying a friend and there was this uh, community who grieved like there were 400 people or something and somebody threw a hand grenade in it, you know. Yeah, alhamdulillah, nobody got uh, killed uh, because the hand grenade, it was, uh, it hit a tree. So it went the other, other direction, but there were several that were very seriously injured and the guy himself was caught uh, afterwards by some, he was pulled out of a taxi and he was like uh, beaten really hard. So he had to go to hospital. This is just like <laughs> what, what we are working on uh, to, to formulate some, some strategies to, to target this, this violence. And this is very, I think uh, the discussion we had uh, before is, is very, uh, very interesting because uh, this, leads direct to the core of, of the issue in, in my view, because for example, I'm in conversation with one uh, friend of mine and he's a social worker in Vienna in Austria. And he worked a lot with you he, that went to, to Daesh, you know, that went to Syria in 2014, 2015, many uh, Chechnya from Chechnya. Uh, there are many uh, Czechian people in Austria living, living in Austria. And uh, he uh, wrote a book about this together with a journalist. And I'm very fond of this book because he weaves together um, Paulo Freire. He's, from, uh, he's an author from uh, South America. And he um, wrote about the, the pedagogy of the oppressed. It was in the 60s, I think, Paulo Freire. And uh, the friend of mine, Fabian, he, he developed the approach further and, and now his approach is called Pedagogik der Wütenden and it's called uh, like the pedagogy of the angry because mm. they are angry. They are so angry, you know, this mm. is like real anger and it's like this real, very, very unhealthy, very toxic masculinity. I don't like this word, but it's just like, yeah, you just, and it's in combination with social media, you know, like, ah, you insulted my mother on TikTok. You know, I come with my brothers and I stab you. It's just like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or um, you have, you have these gangs and, and they, they give you they give you a car, you know, if you, if you're in there, you get a IMG or like Mercedes, a good one, or uh, you can go into business, you know, you can make like, they make prostitution or drug dealing or like it's mafia. Yeah. And, and if, if you're, if you're there and, and your brother is there and your cousin is there, you know, it's like this, these migrant communities that they are very, disenfranchised from from the society the 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 perspective is they 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 can work in some precarious job you know like uh work in a supermarket or or like uh, a lager you know a storage place or something that you you 
get real bad payment or you just go into a gang and you work there and you do like the business and then after a couple of years you can really earn more than with the I mean with the legal work in in 10 or 20 years you know you can make <laughs> yeah. lots of lots of money in in that business and this is why uh, it's very attractive to the youth and then you have this cultural thing with the rappers you know like uh, they're idols you know this is what you said before as well the the, the ones that they they are looking up to they are the ones with the with the dope they are the ones with the women they are the ones with the money they are the ones uh, who are really the the tough guys you know with big balls and uh, the successful businessmen and these are the ones that they they idolize you know and and they are very celebrated and they're all like them you know they all have this this uh, different like uh there's this great word in german it's called migrationshintergrund it's, it's like migration background <laughs> like uh, they themselves <laughs> i love that That's it's like your, your shadow you know uh. It's a great word. You have to remember this because it's like, ah, you're not like, okay, maybe you're born here, uh, but I think your your parents, they are from Turkey, right? Uh, and it's like this, this German, it's a very ethnic society, you know? You have this this belief, like only only the, the autochton, the, the real Germans, they are the one who are white, and then there's the rest. Yeah. And it's not like um, Canada, for example, or in the UK. I, I thought it was different as well um, <laughs> because it's a, another belief about citizenship. You know, like in or in the, in the USA, if if you're, you you can be American, you can be a real American when you're black as well or when you're Hispanic as well. It doesn't matter as long as you hold the citizenship and you're proud of your country. But uh, in Germany, this is different. You know, this this is like this. It's called Blut und Boden. It's this blood and the land. And if you're not from German blood, you're not a real German, and you you never will be. And this is what what they get to hear. And if you're not a real German, you will never have success. You can maybe you can clean you can clean our houses or you can. You can be a mechanic for Mercedes Benz, okay, like the dirty jobs, hmm. but not the not the the real like the high high jobs like a judge or a teacher. Like there's a long discussions. Okay, can a teacher be someone with a hijab? There were many court cases <laughs> about this issue, and there were many decades. There's been a discussion. Okay. Can a German teacher wear a headscarf? And only I think last year or something there was a, uh, the court said, okay, so it's it's okay to wear a head a headscarf if you're a teacher. But all the years the the cleaning staff they all wear hijabs, you know, and it was no problem. <laughs> But uh, if you're a teacher, yeah. then uh, you shouldn't. And this is why many sisters they say when they go to school. For example, they, the 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 staff they think they're like cleaning personnel, you know, mm. or in hospitals or wherever, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. all the societal areas. 
Um, and this is about um, what the resources, how how you how you have access to resources, to to social capital as well, to to economic capital, uh, and uh, where do you deny access to mm. resources? And this is why you you always have to have this uh, structural perspective, you know. Mm. I wanted to ask you. So you mentioned that you deal with people in jail and you've you kind of do work in the jails right and it's something that i've been reflecting yeah. on and i and I, again i've done a couple of posts on it in the last week and it's the idea of the cage and the cage whether it manifests as a jail cell or whether that is looking at the cage of the mind and our thought patternings and there's the famous line, once again, by Maulana Rumi, which says, you have escaped the cage, your wings are stretched, now fly. I know from my teaching and my masters that everything in existence is contained in its opposite. So you find uh, honor in humiliation and strength in your weakness, etc., etc. Light in dark, dark in light. Which, on that note of just the, the 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 light in the dark, so I went on this is a completely separate random tangent, but I went to there's this town in South Africa called Sutherland, and it's about four hours drive from Cape Town, and it has the largest observatory in the southern hemisphere, and they put it there because the night sky there has the most days of like absolute clear sky so you can see like when the sun goes down you can see everything and in the town they because people go there because of the observatory you can't actually look through the observatory telescopes because they're being used by the scientists etc but in the town because the night sky is so clear uh there's kind of like a few people that have telescopes and you can hire them and they'll show you the different things right so we go there and first of all the the man you know, he focuses the the telescope on Jupiter and you're looking through the little scopey thing and you're seeing like Jupiter as if it's like a photo right there. And that alone is amazing. And then he shows us all these different things in the sky. And then he points to, he has this kind of little marker pen thing that can, it's like a laser pen. So you can see where he's pointing in the sky. And he points to a black area it's completely black that you cannot see any stars there it's black and he points the telescope on that section of nothing perceived nothingness and you look through the telescope and it's hundreds and thousands of stars out there and he said it's, it's i can't remember if it was a nebula or something but it's something that is creating stars or stars are emerging out of there so with the naked eye, you can't see anything. But in these perfect conditions with a telescope, you look into the absolute nothingness of space and you see hundreds and thousands of stars. So it's like it, even where you think it's dark, there's light there. We just can't perceive it. So that's a whole other thing that, you know, just blows your mind or blowed my mind while we were, while we were out there. Allah. Can I just uh, can I just make a remark on this? Of course, yeah, please. Yeah, 
what you just said, this is like what really came to mind was a quote uh, from from Anna Segers and uh, Anna Segers, she she wrote uh, many uh, famous uh, German books uh, and she was like in the DDR, in the German Democratic Republic, very big. And one book uh, she wrote about uh, prisoners in a concentration camp and they and they um, they managed to flee. And uh, she she tells the story of the one prisoner who who, who fly, fled from from uh, the concentration camp and the and the um, commander of the camp puts uh, seven crosses inside of the camp. And each of the crosses they symbolize one of the prisoners that uh, that are fled. So it's just like a reminder for the others that they shouldn't flee. And in the end, uh, she has this quote in in the book, and it's like I I translated it. Uh, of course, if you could speak German, it would be really much more beautiful. But uh, <laughs> of course, if you can't. I'll translate it. Um, <laughs> uh, we all felt how deep and horrible the the outer powers could get into the human, like the, that the outer powers could intervene into into the the human, uh, in, into his core. Like you have outer powers and they can intervene into uh, into your core level. But we also felt that in in your core level there was something that you can't attack and that you can't hurt. Mm. Like you have this really deep core uh, point in yourself that no outer power is able to to hurt in any way. No, it's not possible. That's what I wanted to really ask you about. I wanted to ask you in your experience working with people in jail, have you found anyone that you would define as exceptionally free because i feel that one if everything's in its opposite then if somebody's incarcerated in that incarceration they can find absolute freedom mm, not i i yeah i have i have one i have one uh client uh, of mine uh, that comes to my mind when you say about uh, exceptionally free but he wasn't in jail mm. he was not like not really in jail he was in a jail in his own jail because he had a psychosis uh. for one year he was in a psychotic state so this is not technically being in jail but some kind of jail as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in a jail and this is uh, because actually in jail, I, I don't have that many experiences, so I can't really answer your question. The ones I met in jail, they're, they're not free. They are very, they're really in their anger. They have so much anger that it's really like one girl I had in jail and she had so much anger. She always burned herself, you know. Mm. Uh, with the lighter because she couldn't cope with it. It was really tough to to see. She was like really young. She was 18 or something. Wow. And she killed a woman when she was 15 and she was on drugs. And this is really, this was really tough and meeting her. But 
um, she was really in her anger and I met nobody in jail that I would say was exceptionally free. But this guy, he was free uh, or he is free. And it's very interesting because he was always like, he always wanted to be free. And this led in the combination of uh, like uh, psychoactive drugs like acid, for example, mm -hmm. it's very dangerous because uh, uh, if you have uh, uh, certain, certain predispositions, uh, you can really easily get uh, um, a drug-induced psychosis uh, with uh, hallucinatory substances and you can't get out of this of this loop yeah. you know of this mental loop and he was inside it for for uh for many months and i was the only one who who still hold the connection to him because his family and friends they had to distance at some point because they couldn't bear it anymore because he was in such a bad state and he was in really bad state he wasn't able to to control his his body functions you know he was like uh he, he vomited all the time and he um he couldn't control his uh, you know his uh, body exits yeah 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 so it was really gross really gross and uh his psychosis his story you know because you this was what led me on a journey and this is why i'm really grateful because i i, I I'm thankful for him and I owe him a lot because I, he teached me very much. He, um, he was like, his story was, you know, his, his penis was broken and this is why his existence doesn't make any sense anymore. Wow. This is why, you know, he, he wasn't a man anymore. He wasn't like a, a human being anymore because he imagined that his penis was broken and this was like the symbol of his human energy and his his life energy basically and this is uh, what he, his whole being uh, dwelled around in this time was the fact that he perceived his penis to be broken which of course it wasn't in reality but this doesn't matter anymore uh, when you're in psychosis, you don't uh, differentiate between reality and fiction, right? Well, you can't. Yeah. It's not possible. And he wasn't able to to come out of this. And this really was the, so tough for me because I was the only one, uh, or I thought that's not true. I, I perceived myself as the only one who was able to to have responsibility for him. To take over the responsibility for him uh, living or dying and of course it's not true this is a big mistake that i made is that i gave myself this uh, this role actually this this role of uh, of responsibility because this is not this is not uh, my responsibility but i only found this out later but afterwards i had to really um, get me some tools to work and I, I wanted to find out okay what 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 happened there what went wrong <laughs> because I had absolutely no idea I was really overwhelmed I thought there was no exit there was no solution and I just learned much later that this is like the core issue of 
every traumatic experience is that you believe that there is no way out. You have to believe that there is no way out. And if you believe this, then it will become a trauma for you. And this is like promise. And this is why I know like tattoos is haram, you know, it's not allowed. But if I would make myself a tattoo, I would tattoo in the mouth because uh, this is like the promise that Allah Almighty gives us in the Quran that with every hardship there will come the ease. So the ease will come and our job is to believe this <laughs> promise. Uh, Tattoo that on your heart. Yes. Yeah. I have to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a nice uh, image. The heart and uh, then you have Inamalusiusi on it. Yeah. And afterwards I um I made a course in and this got to do with with my uh, work uh, like my professional development as well as my work uh, on the spiritual path because this is uh, this is a great thing about about uh, my job is that it's the same thing mm. you know if you work on the spiritual path and if you de develop like um, in that sense you automatically develop professionally because it's all about being present being in the now mm. building connections building relationships holding space for others you know uh, being uh, non-judgmental being um, attuned mm. to the other and this is all all the skills that we learn from our our great teachers from our great uh, saints in our tradition so this is our great um the, the benefit that we have and this is why i came into addiction i uh, actually uh, i made a course in in spiritual about spiritual trauma mm -hmm. there i learned about the different layers of trauma because there's not only the individual layer like the things that happened to me last year or last month or something I mean, this is real and this is important, but also there are the things that happened when you were like a small child and lots of the things that you can't remember anymore that's hidden in the unconscious. And then it's not only the things that happened to you as a kid, but the things that happened before you were born, like to your parents or to your grandparents, what I said in the beginning. And then it's not only the things that happened to your to your grands or grandparents have things that happen to your tribe, to your people, you know. And then there are the things that happen to humanity in in general, to Benny Adam. And and this is like the 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 core trauma of existence is like that we are cut off from the reed bed, you know. And we have to realize this and that we are so much like um anath i can't pronounce this word anesthetized and in the state of sleep that we have forgotten to mourn this fact that we are cut off and we are disconnected from our sorrow 
and from our sadness about and the tragicness of our existence that we aren't connected to the source anymore, that we are cut off from this and this will last on for all this time that we spend in Hayatul Dunya, for all this time it will last that we are in this state of disconnection. And this is what I learned in the learning about spiritual trauma, that it's all about connection or disconnection. You know, a connection is the place of healing, the place of wholeness, the place of a sense of self, of true self, not of false self, because the false self, this is the nafs, you know, this is the mask that you put on in order to conceive your own emptiness inside, your your deep hole that has been uh, burned into your soul. And you have to somehow find anything that you can um, seal this hole because if you don't seal this hole, this sense of feeling empty, the sense of emptiness, of, of, of sadness, grief, sorrow, depression, it will just engulf mm. you and you will just uh, won't be able to, to live anymore. So you have to find something that fits inside. And this is, as we said before, this is your son. This is the work, uh, money, children drugs, um, sex, gambling, whatever, that can fill out this hole that in order for you not to feel this emptiness, you know? And and this is something that, that you really have to understand. Okay, this is the state that I'm in. And what is what am I fixing with my behavior right now? What What is it about? And what is triggering? this uh, conditioned reaction because it's about something that is conditioned you know that's like brainwashed and what is the cycle about it because you always have something that triggers it mm -hmm. and the trigger it's very interesting because this is something that i learned from another teacher when you look at for example a weapon uh AK-47 or something, the trigger is only a tiny piece and there's a lot of complex mechanics around it and it's lots of gunpowder and whatever. And if you just, like the trigger alone will do nothing, but the, all the explosives, all the ammunition, this is inside of you, but you always blame the trigger, mm. you know? You're always in this mode of, ah, the other one is to blame or the system is to blame or whatever is to blame just in order that I don't have to look at myself and my own explosive. And uh, this is what another teacher um, of mine has called uh, the multiplayer mode, like in a video game, you know, uh, you always play in a video game and they're always the other players and they're always responsible that you lose, you know? Yeah. But we want to go into the single player mode. And if you're in the single player mode, you're the only one in this level. And you're the only one who's responsible if you, if you manage to, to kill the, the enemy at the end of the level or not. So what you want... And you can't blame anybody else. But what the best thing to do is to play single player, a single player mission with 10 other people. Yeah. So that you have some support and there's people with you, and there's a grouping of you. Yeah, definitely. 
you we are social beings so we as much as we are on our own path and our own journey and our own self reflection we cannot look in we even if we know all of the knowledge you still need to look in the mirror so you can't see your own faults your own wiring because it's yours that's wired like that so to see your own wiring you need the other you you need the i mean in the our form you have the sheikh who is the perfect polished mirror so when you look in the mirror yes. you you see yourself but at the same time everything in creation is a mirror so somebody mm. says something which triggers you you're the one that got triggered it's not them they are them yeah. you can't change them they they said whatever they said however they said it but how does that affect you you know and then what's in you that got triggered and where's your ammunition because like you said it's like the trigger's a tiny little part but it's you're the one experiencing yeah. it so yeah um another another teacher of mine he expressed it beautifully like uh, he said um ahed amas um every every trigger and every um every um, hardship you face in your life and every person that really uh, brings you into your edge is only like a roadblock for you in order to stay on track, you know? And if you bump against the road track, you are thrown back onto track. And it's just like beneficially for you that you don't get off track, mm. that you can stay in lane. And we always want to dwell left or right or wherever. But if there are these roadblocks on the side, you, you stay. Maybe you bump inside, but then you get on track again because, you know, okay, the road is finished here. This is really like, this is really high level <laughs> if you're able to, to incorporate this, this wisdom into your daily life. Sheikh Abdul Qadir, Rahimullah, said to me, he said, Times of difficulty are an aid for the Sufis. So is that for the Sufi, when you when hardship comes your way, when difficulty comes your way, it's an aid, it's a celebration. Because you, you know that you're, you, Allah's mm. testing you. So Allah loves you because Allah loves those he tests. You know, and the ones yes. he loves more, he tests more to see how, how firm are they in this. So that they can get more reward for being steadfast through the hard, the hardest things. And the proof of it is read any of the stories of any of the Anbiya. <laughs> I mean, read the story about Sidna Musa and the hardships and the difficulties that he went mm. through. I mean, what Allah calls the greatest story is the story of Sidna Yusuf. And I mean, and that story, I mean, you, you look at it and it's just like, um, it's just the difficulty and the hardship that Sidna Yusuf went through from a, a child. Mm. As a child, he was left in the well by his brothers and then picked up, you know, by a random family and, and you know, and then unjustly put in jail, etc., etc. And all through this thing, so what was it? It was that Allah, he was in jail and I can't remember how many years. And the one prisoner left And because Sidna Yusuf asked the prisoner to mention him to the king to help him get out, 
Allah left him in the prison for another period of time. I can't remember how long it was, two or seven or ten years more that Sidney Yusuf stayed in prison. Why? Because he asked the other person to help him instead of asking Allah. Mm. I mean, look at the rank of Sidney Yusuf. That Allah tested him even yeah. more because at that point in time, he didn't put all of his trust in Allah. And then by the end of the surah and by the end of the story, we see that you know Sidney Yusuf is now the, the treasurer of the king of one of these great kingdoms. Mm. And all of it with all of his family with him, with his brothers and his parents. So it's like, it, again, it's coming back to that, uh, with hardship comes ease, with hardship, surely with hardship comes ease. It's like, know that the hardship comes from the same place, the same source as the ease. The two things are connected. Yes. So that you, and if you're having hardship now, it's Allah's promise, and He promises it once, and then He conf like doubles it up that it will happen. And this is yes, mm. and uh, and then I I just have to say that I am so incredibly weak that I am so weak because there are so like minor incidents that really minor tests, you know, like really small tests, and I. <laughs> I barely, barely succeed. You yeah, know? but that's but even there, you're 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 saying that you are incredibly weak. So now we've got to go into the language of what you're saying because you're saying I am incredibly weak. The brain receives that without context. Mm. So if you say I am incredibly weak, the brain believes that you are incredibly weak. Now that completely wipes out of the way all of your strengths right because you're not saying to your brain i am incredibly strong i am incredibly strong i am incredibly strong no you're saying i'm i'm incredibly weak now yes okay maybe in the specific area of your life in the specific thing when it comes to my children i am incredibly weak I am very soft on my children. I let my children do whatever they want to do. I can't say no to my children. Yeah, okay. I can't say no to my wife. I'm weak when it comes to my wife. I'm weak when it comes to my parents. I'm weak in a certain specific thing. Yeah, okay, fine. But there's, you are not incredibly weak. You may be weak in one area, but you're incredibly strong in other areas. It's even when people say, I am tired. You're not tired. You may be feeling tired. But you are not tired. Mm. So it's like, if the, new, the nuances in the language, and this is something that I don't know if you know about uh, Lacan, the psychoanalyst, right? Yes, so a bit. He, a, bit. a lot of his work... Jacques Lacan. Jacques Lacan, yeah. He was looking, a lot of his work was looking into the language of the subconscious. So it's when we say things, how that affects the other parts of our being. And it's something that is we it's very important for us to be aware of and i think in the time that we live in because the huck is not the sun because the huck is not the center of our universe everywhere everywhere mm. we're being told lies or being shown an untrue reality advertising and marketing showing something mm. in its best light so that you purchase it so that you buy mm. or it's in the news and everything's a lie mm. 
or mm. it's there's so much of it that you don't know what's true and what's not everything's so distorted it's like a time of absolute confusion yeah and the, one of the things that goes is language and so the the language that contains the possibility of a culture at its highest manifestation if you weaken the language you can't express that culture at its highest manifestation so what do you do you destroy mm. the language how do you do it slang let's make sure that all of the uh, really bad expression of language becomes the number one thing on going viral on social media and all the best programs have to have people speaking the worst language etc etc and back in the day you know yes. great literature was honored great poetry was honored great music was honored like richard mm. wagner who's i'm going to go back to him his 16 hour long opera cycle is a monumental piece of music before you even well no let's go back mm. actually because he is a composer it's a monumental script the words if you just take richard wagner's ring cycle and you just read the words it's already magnificent and then on top of that is some of the greatest music that's ever been written ever over a 16 hour long thing all explaining the story of german mythological origins you know language is so important mm. yeah this is uh, this is something if i if i may share something that's very very close to my heart it's um last year i was um, very down you know i was in a, in a clinic for a couple of months because about different diseases that I have uh, spiritually, but uh, physically yeah. as well. And I had one uh, session, uh, there was a, a therapy session and it was about movement, you know, movement and uh, movements for healing. And at the last session, I was ordered that I uh, should um, give myself a Kraftsatz and Kraftsatz is called like the, the your sentence of power, you know. For me, it was I just tapped into my myself, and it was totally clear that my my Kraftsatz was um, I will be heard, because my like inner ego injunctions, you know, the the inner critic, the, it always says to me, uh, uh, you you won't be heard. You you you're not relevant. You, your voice doesn't doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Your and it's about uh, you know the chakra, uh, the the latif system, and it's in the throat. You know this. If this is uh, blocked, yeah, then you can't speak anymore. And for me, this is the central theme because when I was a kid with uh, three years of age about like three years, I, I didn't speak. For one year, like I learned to speak, but then I stopped speaking. And I was silent for, I don't know, maybe 10 months or oh. one year, I didn't speak one word. This is something that I, that I worked on in therapy. This is really, I mean, I have kids, you know, I have two daughters, alhamdulillah, the small one, she's three years old uh, and nearly four, and she talks all day. 
you know, she talks without <laughs> without uh, pause. And yeah. if I believe that she would like tomorrow stop talking, it would be devastating for me. It would be like, mm. oh my god. And it was just like, okay, I did this uh, myself as a kid, and. I didn't care about this, you know, nobody cared about this. I don't know what happened, if something or not, um, but it's just like, okay, maybe you can, you have to look at this. Why don't you, why don't you speak for one year? This is not, it's not like usual development <laughs> or something. So this is why for me, actually, it's about finding your Kraftsatz, finding your sentence that has power and does this, uh, that gives you strength, uh, you will be heard because actually what's very interesting, if you connect this, this teachings of the energy centers of the chakras on a global level, you know, and then you will realize that the throat chakra, and this is something uh, else that I learned, the throat chakra of the world is in Al-Quds, is in Jerusalem. This is the place where we, on a, on a global level, our, our, our voice is stifled, you know, our voice is blocked, our voices are pressed down and not being able to, to talk is one of the worst things that, that you can imagine that nobody listens to you. And this is something I always have to struggle with, that my perception is always, ah, oh, nobody's going to listen to me. And this is something like, for example, and that it's not relevant, that, that what the things that I have to say. Well, just you wait. Just you wait. Because number one, you're on my podcast. <laughs> number two, I'm going to get the the statistics of this. And I'm going to show you once we've edited it and it's released, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I'm going to show you not only how many people have listened to you, but I can show you where in the world they've listened to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could, you can pinpoint it to the different countries. Yeah. In certain countries, you can pinpoint it to the state, and it's pretty accurate. So it's is quite amazing all of the data that you get on the other side so i'll show that to you mm. and look at that i will be heard not only are you being heard by me now but you will be heard for you know as long as there are people listening to my podcast and this episode in particular so that's, yes. that's amazing oh thank you Barak. now fix it here but this is why one thing i have to say about this this is why this is part of my my healing journey as well as another like group that I uh, tend to visit on a regular basis. And this is about the step, 12 step program. And it's called, um, it's the self help help group and it's called ACA. Like uh, ACA stands for adult children of alcoholic or dysfunctional families. And there you, ah. there you work through the 12 steps. Are you familiar with the 12 steps program? Um, no, I'm not. Uh, yes, it's it's from the Anonymous Alcoholic Movement. You know, uh, they were founded in the 1940s uh, or 1930s. Uh, I know about Alcoholics Anonymous. I've never been an alcoholic, so I haven't ever had to. 
but uh, they developed these 12 steps of uh, spiritual healing and it's basically a spiritual program and uh, they they modified it for many different uh, addictions or circumstances so you have um, narcotics anonymous or or, or uh, uh, sex addicts anonymous or gambling anonymous or whatever and and the program that i'm in is um, for adult other children of alcoholic families or dysfunctional families so it doesn't have to be uh, alcoholism that's in the family but it can be any form of dysfunction and there the what really touches me is the very first step and this is coming back to our original topic of addiction the very first step is just to acknowledge that you have absolutely no power over the addiction that you submit yourself to the greater power to the higher power and let him do the work and this is the very first step in the 12-step program and basically if we translate it this is um we have the saying of la hawla wa la illa billah and it means there is no power and no might except for allah and allah is the only one who holds the power over us and over our addictions. And if we don't make this step, and if we don't submit our egos, our pride, kibber, our image, our mass, under this statement, we will lose. The only way is to submit and to accept that we are powerless. And this is so hard. This is so hard because everything in our culture and our society and the capitalistic values that we learn from and th that we are breastfed with is the exact opposite. Is you are in control, <laughs> you are in power, you have to be in charge, you have to have agency, you have to be the subject of your own life. So we learn the exact opposite from this first step. This is why our society is in its core addicted it has to be otherwise it wouldn't work at all if we would have like a core assumption core societal assumptions and this is really the core point because if you have this belief that i'm in charge that i'm in control that i'm the big one then you'll end up addicted this is this is true and you will have success you will have success in 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 this life if you look, look at all the big people, you know, like Elon Musk or whatever, you know, uh, the the heroes of our age, of our societies, uh, the celebrities whatsoever, they are all really addicted to the core. They are just like no difference to the junkies that hang around at the train station and they're really wretched and really in a horrible state and this is absolutely no difference they are the same as us and this is to to come to an end uh, when i work with with uh, my people it's just so healthy because you you see uh, they're very authentic about themselves you know they they don't have these shiny masks that they're afraid to lose because they know that they are imperfect they know that they have their faults they know it very well and they don't have to fool you they don't have to trick you into believing that there's something that they're not in reality and this is something that is so so grounding every time that that i'm working with them 
either on the streets or in jail that they don't have to convince you that they are great, you know, <laughs> because everybody knows that they are not and they themselves know them the best. So they can be just like true. They can just be authentic. They don't need this uh, shiny, fancy masquerade of all the other people in society. And everybody knows that it's not true. And everybody is searching for the the truth and uh, for for uh, the authentic experience so they create this artificial authentic experience where you have the same thing but you paint it authentic and then you have this it's really like these cultural movements i don't know if you have it in south africa but we have this this barbershop thing that's come up in the last couple of years where you have these images of the man you know like Canadian men and they they hack the wood all the time and they have these strong beards and you hipster stuff you know like this yeah. and uh, they they have uh, tattoos and earrings and this is really it. you have barber shops on every corner shisha bars and so on and this is really the new thing and this is so authentic and this is so true and then you have uh, the food and the the music that comes with it but actually it's just like the same stuff and it's just painted and it's fake just like 80s uh, pop you know it, and and this style it's nothing nothing different but new package you know new package and then you sell this and this is why i believe and this is something that that you have uh, formulated wonderful in 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 uh, episodes you and your your guests your previous that uh, we really have to create uh, new new perspectives, new, uh, and it's got to do with uh, opportunities for for people to develop. You know, you have to give uh, business opportunities as well. You have to give uh, cultural opportunities. You have to to show them the way out of this cul de sac, out of this this uh, modernist project that is just like crumbling, and the future is it lies elsewhere you know the this is what you said wonderful in your, this one episode the future is in africa the future is in asia you know you have uh, powers uh, in turkey it's, it's something different because it's not like everybody's finished somehow like in europe and you have all this old you know this old glamour and you see it uh, when you walk through the cities here it was like in the 60s or or something 50s, 60s, where you had this this glamour and everybody was recovering after the war and they were like you could live happily and so on. But this is this is over, you know. I was in uh, at Christmas time. I was in the church uh, in my in my hometown for visiting my family, and it was really sad, you know. This, uh, there were only old people, and it wasn't even full. And uh, in the past, uh, on uh, Christmas, the churches were so full, you 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 had to stand outside, and now it was like Christmas, and world wasn't even full, and all the people were old. Now, on that note, you go to the churches on Christmas, and it's just a bunch of old people, which means in 20, 30 years' time, those churches are going to be empty. It's yeah. just the natural progression, because those yeah. old people are going to die. If you go to the mosque... Go to any mosque in Germany on Eid, and it's going to be packed. Packed. Men, women, children, 
you name it. Yes. Now, the most exciting future, if we take just Germany, is that the Muslims of Germany go back to the Germanic inheritance of the likes of Goethe, Heidegger, mm. Heisenberg, Ernst Jünger, Wagner, Schiller, Rilke, all of these giants, giants. Mm. And they take that knowledge of the German identity and teach it back to the Germans that have lost it because they got caught up in this madness about the Nazis and that means everything German is bad. That's mm. rubbish. Mm. At which point you will get Islam revitalizing the place in its highest, in its best form. Mm. That thing that made those giants, because those people don't just pop up. It's not, they didn't just emerge out of anywhere. No, they emerged out of a society, out of bloodlines, out of a certain education that went through the great-grandfather, the grandfather, the father, the son, so that this person could emerge. And when you look at the genetic line of Richard Wagner and Friedrich Nietzsche, you see that they were third cousins. They uh, came. Yeah. They, there's a there's a genetic connection if you go if you take it back. So they were as they were both contemporaries and distant relatives. So they mm. came from. There was something in that bloodline that produced these two magnificent artists, thinkers, philosophers, whatever you want to define them as. Mm. And th that's why Islam is the future of europe it's there's no way of escaping it mm. if you look at if you look at france if you look at germany if you look at the united kingdom if you look at I mean, europe spain italy is that the influx of muslims is huge now what the muslims need to do it's rather than rejecting the culture and fighting against the racism and fighting against all of these things, which are all manifestations of anger and oppression and suppression, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. If they, if you out-British the British, if you out-German the German, if you out-French the French, if you out-Spanish the Spanish, if you out-Italian the Italian, mm. you know, if you out-European the European, then they have no leg to stand on. If you're the one teaching the Germans about uh, about Wagner and what he, what he was actually saying through his music, or Goethe, or you know any of the other names that I talked about, I mean, and and I guess I'm just thinking now about my own inheritance, and I've never I've reflected on this, but I've never thought about it like that. But my father is an English man that our family we can trace back to the year the male line back to the year 738 we came as that we were the, the norman conquest that went over into france and conquered well was given land in normandy and then mm. a few generations later william the conqueror went over to england and conquered in 1066 and killed mm. the king in battle and took the throne and, and England became French. 
Now, my great ancestor, Odard de Dutton, was a nephew of William the Conqueror, and he fought in the battle and was given a huge piece of land out next to Wales in Cheshire. So my family is very white and very English. (laughs) Well, my father is very white and very English. And in his 20s, he was studying English at Oxford University. And he, for whatever reason, I can't remember exactly why, he switched from English to Urdu and Arabic. And he went to Algeria to study Arabic further and Mm. eventually became Muslim. And he is now one of the world-leading authorities on Fusha and the Arabic language. So much so that the Arabs, and I, when I say the Arabs, I mean, I know my father has been flown to Medina University to teach the Arabs in their own universities Arabic. Allah. And I mean, that is... So maybe that's what is emerging now through my thought patterning but that's it's it's along those lines of understanding that the place that you're in has something to teach you yes so rather than rejecting it accept it take it in and use it to your advantage not for the betterment and the advancement of yourself, but the betterment and advancement of society and Islam and your the next generations coming, the the generations coming, because the situation that we find ourselves in today is horrendous, whichever way yes. you want to look at it. If you, I mean, all you have to do is look at the children, look at the children. I mean, as you go to the church and you see that the churches are empty and only got old people there. If you go to the children, you see the children are empty. The children are, don't, do not know how to do anything. All they know how to do is use the phone and scream and shout and kick and, 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 and you know, the, manja, manja, go flick through the phone, flick through the iPad, go give me more, give me more, sit in front of the TV. Now that's, a complete and utter disconnection from reality. Now, this is a modern, it's a modern phenomenon. I mean, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, you know, which is not that long ago. I mean, it's a a bit longer than I want to believe, but but, I mean, like 20 20 years ago, we never, we watched TV for an hour after school. The rest of yeah. the time you're out playing, you're running around in the mountain, you're doing this, you're doing that, and, and, and having a great old time learning, you know, and just experiencing the world. And uh, I wanted to ask you, the man that believed that his penis was broken, you, 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 you left it at the point where you understood that all therapy, all, all trauma came from this belief that there's no way out. And what I wanted to ask you was, how did you eventually get him out of that that psychosis? Uh, I'll tell that in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, uh, we kind of forced him into the psychiatry. Um, we we found a doctor, and uh, he he forced him to go. Um, Although he what not he wasn't like legally forced, 
he could have said no, but he didn't know this. He was just like thinking that he was being forced and that he had no other options. And uh, there at last he was given like um, uh, antipsychotic medication. And um, after a couple of uh, months, he he came out and uh, he was he managed to 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 come out of this uh, psychosis. Alhamdulillah. He was living in uh, really horrible conditions. Uh, he was on the street, and then I brought him to to like an old. Um, Gasthof, like a old um, place where there there were some refugees living there, and an old man who was like a caretaker. It was a village, you know. There was nothing there, and he lived there uh, in this room, and it was really horrible. It was like hell. Like this room was really like hell on earth, and he would have died there um, for sure if uh, we didn't uh, manage to. To, to convince this doctor that uh, he really has to be forced now to, to go into psychiatry. And um, yeah, this is something that he always tells me because uh, the story is not finished because uh, we, we worked on recovery together and we worked with um, that we go uh, biking, you know, mountain biking in the, in the hills and uh, with writing, you know, because uh, he he wrote uh, his story down and um, he made it into songs and then we played these songs. Uh, my colleague, he played guitar, I was playing cajon, you know, like drum, and he was shouting all out uh, and it was really great because we never would have believed that he would be able to get back on stage again. Yeah, he always tells me like, okay, um, Without you, I wouldn't be here anymore. And this is like, wow, this is so humbling for me because I say, of course, I, I, I'm not the one who, who saved you. I can't do this. This is nothing that's in my power. But, um, I'm sure that I have, um, I have played a crucial role in his path, uh, at some point in his life, uh, it made a big difference that I was there. And this is something that really um, helps me and motivates me and gives me strength uh, to to remember this fact that that it was just like an enormous difference, me being present with him. And this always gives me back the... Uh, the belief that, that really the, the impact that I can have on people is, is so big, you know, like, because sometimes I tend to believe that I can have no impact on other people, but then I just do it and then I realize, okay, I can have really big impact and I give really big impulses to others and I can really guide people as well. And I, I, I haven't learned a lot, but I have learned some things and these things that I have learned I, I want to, I want to, um, give to the people that are, um, on the same track, they, that they are open to it. Because many, they aren't open to it. They have a closed heart and they are not interested. They, they want to stay asleep. This is like the, the blue pill, red pill thing, you know? 
They just don't want, yeah. they don't want. And this is okay. Khalas, uh, you know, just leave them. Uh, but the ones that do, they are very grateful and they are very uh, thankful. And uh, there you can have big impact. And this is why I, I um, together with others, I founded an organization. It's called Al Mutmin. And it's about uh, Muslims struggling with addiction, you know. And we made an Instagram page and we're working on uh, content to raise awareness about uh, this issue because this is nothing that is talked about, you know. There's big taboo about it. And uh, if you're if you're like Muslim and you're uh, addicted, you're, you're lost, you know. You, you have nowhere to go. You can't go to family. You can't go to the mosque. You... You can go yeah. like uh, here in Germany. We have social institutions, but they have no idea of the Muslim reality. You know, they're just like German social workers, and they can help in some parts, but other parts, especially like culturally, or um, about uh, the Dean uh, stuff about the Dean, they, they can't help at all. They they have no knowledge about this. So this is why this is a, a really. A uh, big part of of our mission is to 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 um, raise awareness about this issue and uh, to to work with the young people because they're all they're all in this, you know. And as you said, like with uh, with the technology, this is just like sucking their souls. This is like their 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 whole being is being sucked into this these machines and there's often there's not much life left and especially when they're traumatized you know i had a kid he was from he he was up from afghanistan he was he fled with his family and it was so horrible he had he survived three or four times that his this home was on fire you know it burned but not once it was like three times or four times i can't remember uh, his home was on fire and he survived all of these incidents and now he's here in Germany and the way that he copes is that he's on his smartphone from day to night he doesn't do anything else you know from the morning okay he has to go to school but after school at 1 p.m. he's on his smartphone until 1 a.m. in the morning and then he goes to sleep and this is his life you know so if you have high level of trauma uh, you have even higher level of addiction and this is why uh, one of the teachers that I learned a lot from Gabor Mate this is uh, what he always says it's not the question is not why the addiction the question is why the pain and this is a really strong sentence and you really have to think about this the question is not why the addiction don't ask about this the question is why do you have so much pain in you and this really reframes the whole issue. This reframes it because we always think about addiction as some kind of moral failure. You just have to decide and you made the wrong decision at one point. That's why you're to blame. And this is how the, all the legal system, for example, is built on this assumption. But this is a lie. It's not a moral decision. This is just the way that you were able to cope at some point. It's something that helped you and it's not a disease because they say it's a disease. No, it's just some illness that you get or you don't get. It's random. But this is not true as well because if you don't have this 
pain and you don't need to uh, give the relief because this is what addiction is about. It gives you the relief. And uh, one sentence that's always in my head and <laughs> this is something I heard uh, from, from Gabor uh, as well, but I heard it myself on the street. I was sitting with an addict and it was dark. It was winter. We were on the pavement and he had a breakdown and he told me about his life and he told me about the first time he took heroin and he said the first time he took heroin, it was like a warm, soft hug of love and connection. And this is what he gets from the substance. You have to, you have to get this. It was like a warm, soft hug. And you shouldn't blame yourself if you are, if you're in desperate need of hug, of hugs, of love and connection. This is something that every human being strives for and needs for survival. And this is what, if you don't get this as a kid, you will die. If you just put a kid outside in the forest with two years old, it, it will die. It, it won't last long. So this is why you always, if you're a kid and you are in a household where you can't be authentic, you can't be real, you can't express your needs, you're being neglected, you're being abused, then you deny this part of yourself. You have to deny it in order to survive in order to maintain the relationship, the connection to your caregivers. Because giving up the connection to your caregivers, that's not an option. This will mean certain death. So you have to deny this part of yourself. You have to deny this part of your authenticity. And if this is a state that stays you will split this part off. It will be split off from your personality. And uh, one author, he says, it's like frozen then. Then it's frozen. It's stuck in the past. It's not in the present anymore. You have this part of yourself that's, uh, that's, uh, that's separated, that's frozen. It's like permafrost. It's all time frozen. And it only gets activated when certain things trigger it. And then it's alive, then it's, then it's activated, then it takes over the stage. But this is not the present. You act out of the past, you know, you act out of this, this, uh, neglected, shamed, uh, part of yourself that's been in exile the whole of your life that you never looked at, you never want to look at. It's like the, the disgraced uh, kid of your family, you know, the the black sheep. Yeah. And then it suddenly comes and it, it rocks the stage and it destroys everything. And then if it if the situations are bad, it's one situation and then you're in prison for your whole life maybe. If it's about violence, maybe you kill someone then when this part is active. And then all of you is held responsible for the action of a fracture of you. And this fracture of you is all that the others see in you anymore. They don't see the human being anymore. They just see this part, and this part may be ugly, this part may be uh, violent, this part may be dirty, whatever. But there's nothing else left. 
And this is something that I always notice in my work is if you see the human being, if you see behind the whales, you can connect to him and you connect, you can connect to the real parts and they will come to you because they feel this and they feel that all the other people, they don't see this anymore and they act as if you have to punish him or like now he gets what he deserves or uh, they just neglect him or whatever. But if you just like see the human behind all of this, all of this that happened, you can really build connections and then you can really make a big difference because they have no one, you know? This is something that that I have to remember all the time. They have nobody. And for me, I do some small thing and for them, this is like Christmas and Easter and everything together, you know? It's like Eid and Christmas and they're the, the best day of their life. And for me, it was like one small thing, you know? We made, for example, we made a trip And our, uh, I had a trainee and she made photo albums for the participants, you know, just like photo albums. It's nothing big, but they are like years late. So they're just telling me, Oh, how great it was. I got this photo album. It was so wonderful. Thank you. Whatever. And I said, okay, probably it was the first time that somebody gave them a photo album as a pre present. So this is something that really, um, humbles me and says, okay, you can have so big impact with so little effort. Well, look, man, you've had a massive impact on me. And I'm not just saying that there's been many things that have come up from what you've been saying that has hit parts of me and opened parts, you know, even just the thing that I did mention about my father, but other things that I haven't mentioned and just your authentic, authenticity and your truth and I would say from my heart that it's not that you will be heard is that you have to be heard because I think you have something which is your being is so valuable and people in this time have to hear what you're saying but more than what you what you're saying is what you're doing and this al musin mumin al mutmin that has to be supported and lifted up because i think what you're doing is absolutely monumental and there's nobody else doing it not many people but maybe nobody else doing it in stuttgart no <laughs> well may, may like as you were saying with the 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 thing that began in the 60s that was the precursor to what you're doing now, yeah. where it started as a small youth movement and then it spread throughout West Germany and then into East, into East Germany. May that be the case with what you're doing and spread from where you are across Germany, across Europe and, and be, you know, throughout the world. It's, the, the possibilities are endless. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. You know, it's like, as you said, it's like Allah is the, the merciful, the most merciful. And if we can, you know, you're doing it. And if that can, if, if you can be that manifestation of Allah's mercy for people that are stuck in addiction and pain and horror and all of these things, if, if Allah puts that through, that gives you with being the one that gets them out of that, then if he can get, if he can gift that to you with one person, he can give that to you with a million people, if not billions. So, and in this time and beyond time. So may Allah give you everything that you need to fulfill your ambitions in what you are doing. And may it be of 
huge benefit for you and everyone that that benefits from it both directly and indirectly because all of these things have effects on families and parents and children and cousins and brothers and sisters and beyond you know so if you can if Allah give you success in what you're doing Allah give you success in what you're doing Allah give you success in what you're doing yeah. I mean Maulana Sheikh Nasim he always ended his sahbah with wa min Allah tawfiq this is exactly it and with Allah comes the success Amen. I